know who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes for sure. Uh, traditionally, it has been attributed to King Solomon, the son of David, uh, for the obvious reason that it says in the first verse, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, if we are to take that in the most literal sense, there was only one son of David who was king, and that was Solomon. And so based on that statement and the writing style uh, of, of, of the person that's writing this, it would fit that Solomon could be the author of the book. However, some have said that possibly it's not Solomon. Now, we know sometimes the phrase son of David does not literally mean a, 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 a physical son of David, but perhaps a descendant of David. And in that sense, there were many kings of Jerusalem that were descendants of David that may would fit the, the bill of, of that first statement there. And so traditionally it's believed that Solomon wrote the book. I, I tend to, to lean toward that. It seems to fit some of Solomon's other writings, uh, the talk about this person being a wise person and presumably a wealthy person. Those descriptions as we go through the book seem to fit Solomon. And so uh, if you care to do more research on the author, please feel free to do so. If it was not King Solomon, the son of David, then I'm not really sure who it was. Uh, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. It, it really doesn't matter who wrote the book. There are good things for us to consider in the book. Uh, one thing you will see as we go through the book is that, in one sense, it's kind of a depressing book. It kind of just says... Life is a bummer. I mean, that's what Ecclesiastes says, if I were to sum it up in one statement. Life is a bummer. Life is difficult. You live, you die, nobody remembers you, and the cycle continues. That is the book of Ecclesiastes in a nutshell. And many people would say, well, I don't want to read that. That's pretty depressing. Uh, but but it's good for us to read these things and, and be made aware of these things, of what really life is. Life does come and life does go, and as we will see often through the book, there is nothing new under the sun. And so hopefully in the midst of some of the stuff that's kind of depressing, we will see the point that the writer here is trying to get across to us. So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for your good word, and I pray that you would help us to understand what your word says tonight and to grow in it, dear Lord. It is, in some sense, kind of depressing. But, dear Lord, it's a reminder of what life is like, dear Lord. It's, it's real, dear Lord. It's a real book, and it talks about the real things that we all experience. And, God, I pray that as we read it that we see you in this book and that, and that we learn not to seek the things of the world or trust the things of the world, but, God, to trust you in all that we do. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with me as I preach and teach and let us grow in your word tonight. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. As I just stated, this could literally be the blood son of David, Solomon, or it could simply be a descendant of David. Uh, irregardless, this person was at one time uh, a king in Jerusalem. And in verse 2 it says, Absolute futility, says the teacher, 
absolute futility. Everything is futile. Now, your translation is going to use a different word there as we go through the book. Mine uses futility. Uh, some, some use vanity. Some say that it's meaningless. Uh, if you have a, a New International Version, it uses the word meaningless. Perhaps that's the, the best word as far as understanding it. Sometimes Maybe there's a little confusion if you see vanity, uh, because oftentimes when we think of vanity or people being vain, uh, it's to do with, with their looks and their presentation, and that certainly is one definition of vanity, but, but another definition of vanity is worthless or meaningless, and, and that is the definition if you see vanity in your Bible. That's the definition that is, is, is being gotten across to us by the writer here. Uh, so meaningless, says the teacher. Absolutely everything is meaningless. And I suppose probably as we get older, uh, we begin to realize the things that really matter in life and the things that are really meaningless. Uh, when we are younger, perhaps we think things uh, mean a lot more. Uh, but as we get older in life, we realize that there are only a few things that really matter. There are only a few things that really mean anything in the grand scheme of things, and those things are, one, God, two, your family, and friends. And really, you could stop there, because those are the things that really mean anything to you. And you get to a point where you will do anything to, to take care of your family, to take care of those who are closest to you. That's what really matters. Perhaps when you're younger, you want the house, you want the car, you want the money, but you get to a certain point in life where, where you care more about doing the Lord's work or taking care of your family that you would say, I'll give up all the house, I'll give up all the money, I'll give up all the cars, and you won't think twice about it. And part of that comes from uh, seeking God, and part of that just comes from wisdom of, of going through life and realizing that life ain't about a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, oftentimes... The only way for us to figure that out is to live life and perhaps get the things that we want most only to realize that they're pretty much meaningless. And that is what the wise writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. He has come to this conclusion that life, in a sense, is meaningless. And as he goes through the book, he says, there are a few things that matter, but not much. Verse 3. What does a man gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panning, it returns to its place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns and it cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. The streams are flowing to the place and they flow there again. So for all of us in this room, I would say that we, we get up and we kind of have the same routine, especially when you are working a job. Your routine is very much the same. Uh, what does a man gain for all his efforts he labors at under the sun? Day after day, we work and we work and we labor and we labor. And at the end of it all, what is the significance of it? Well, as we continue to go through the book, we will learn, and you may have already learned, that, well, really, there isn't much significance. We work and we work and work, but to what end? Perhaps there is more to life than working. Perhaps that's a 
bit of wisdom that is better for us to learn at a younger age than waiting till we are 70 years old to realize that, you know what, maybe I should have worked less and enjoyed life a little more. But it's a constant cycle of over and over and over, and not just for us, this cycle, but for all of creation, the whole humanity, every day, the sun, it continues this same exhausting cycle. The sun rises, and we rise with the sun, and we work while the sun's up, and the sun sets, and we sit with the sun, and the wind blows and blows and blows, and it never stops. It blows today, and it stops tomorrow, but eventually the cycle will continue. The rivers flow and flow and flow, and they never stop. They flow into the ocean, and the ocean never gets full, and the rivers never stop flowing. Just as we work and work and work, so all of creation continues on over and over and over, again and again and again, and this is the cycle of life, the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. All things are wearisome. Man is unable to speak. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. Perhaps that is a lesson some of us have learned. Perhaps that is a lesson some of us need to learn is that we are never satisfied. We are never filled. We always seemingly want more and more and more. And no matter how much we see or how much we hear or how much we have, it seems as though we are never satisfied. And the wise would say, and you never will be satisfied. So don't pursue something to think it will bring you satisfaction when in fact it will not. We need to find joy in the things that will bring us joy. Number one, the Lord. Number two, loving those around us, loving our family and our friends and our neighbors. Those are the things that are most important. Making memories is far more important than making money. There are a lot of people who have worked and worked and worked and made plenty of money with their children or for their children at the sake of making memories with their children or with their family. And there are some things that matter and there are some things that don't. And so we need to learn to be content and to be satisfied and not continue to see and never be satisfied or continue to hear and never be filled. Yet that seems to be the cycle of life that we all have to fight against. Verse 9, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Now, this is a good verse, I believe, for us to remember, uh, because this is life. I say this often, and some would certainly disagree, uh, but I think that this passage is good evidence that there is nothing new in this world. This world is just as bad now as it has ever been. It is just as good now as it has ever been. There have been times throughout the history of the world where things have been horrible. The time of Noah, for instance, where there wasn't but, but a handful of righteous people in all of the world. Now, we've got more righteous people in the world today than in the days of Noah. Maybe not many more, but, but, but I would venture to say a lot more. Millions of righteous people who seek the Lord. And so throughout the history of the world, there have been good times, there have been bad times. There have been times of peace, there have been times of, of, of war. There have been times of abundance, there have been times of famine. And sometimes these things are going on at the same time in different places. Sometimes there is war in one place where there is peace in another. There is famine in one land and abundance in another. But give it a few years and the roles will reverse. This is the cycle of life. 
This is the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing that we are living through that generations before us have not lived through. And if you don't believe me, just do a little research and go through every few years in history, every 100, 200 years, and you look at world history and you will see that the struggles that we face are nothing new to us. There, in fact, is nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. Now, if we were to be hypercritical of that verse, you would say, well, Solomon didn't have a Chevrolet truck back when he wrote this, so that's something new that exists. Well, that misses the point. That's not what he's talking about. In the grand scheme, the overarching scheme, in the core of, of humanity and what the world is, there is nothing new under the sun. There have been empires that have risen and fallen, and there have been wealthy people, and there have been poor people, and there have been uh, those evil people, and there have been those who have been enslaved. There, there has been everything that we see today in our world was at the day of Solomon, and it was before the day of Solomon. We cannot say of anything, this is new. It has always been, Ecclesiastes tells us. Verse 11 there is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after. And there will be no remembrance by those who follow them. Now, this is a very sobering verse for us to consider. And that is, if I could sum it up, I would sum it up this way. In a hundred years from now, it's likely nobody is going to know you ever existed. Now, there's going to be a few people that's going to look through a history book of some family tree but likely there is nobody in the world in a hundred years that is going to care about a single one of us in this room. It's very unlikely that any of us will do anything, at least in the world's eyes, that's going to change anything. Now, don't get me wrong, you may become famous in some way, and people may remember you for the rest of the history of the world. But you think of all the billions of people who have come before us, and we don't know their name, where they lived, or anything else. A hundred years from now, if Enterprise Baptist Church is still here, nobody will know who I was. They'll see my name on that plaque, but that won't mean anything to them, no more than the person who I see that was the first pastor there. I don't know anything about that man, and nobody will know anything about me, and nobody will know anything about you. We work hard, we buy our land, we build our homes, and a hundred years from now, nobody will know the land that you own. They won't know how much money you have. The house that you worked so hard to build and put cherished memories in, it will be gone and somebody will have destroyed it either because they want to remodel it or because it's fallen down. And a hundred years from now, where you live may be so grown up that nobody will ever even know that there was a house there. Now that's a sobering fact to think about because we cherish the things that we have. But when all is said and done, what we have will be forgotten with us. We'll be but a name on a tombstone that perhaps somebody will be able to read, but chances are in a couple hundred years it will even be too worn, and all we will be is a rock. And somebody will say, well, there's somebody under this rock, but who knows who it is or when they lived, much less what they did. And so the author of Ecclesiastes says, look, there will be no remembrance of those who came before and what do we make of that? Well, if we make that nobody's going to remember our name, 
then, then what are people going to remember? Well, what people are going to remember that is going to outlive us are the things that we impart to those that we encounter who are younger to us. When we impart wisdom and we impart the truth of God's word and we help a younger generation to grow and to know God's word and to seek God's will and to do what is good and right, then they hopefully will pass that down to the next generation and they will pass that down to the next generation. And this is true probably for most, if not all of us, because somebody has passed the goodness of God's word down to you. Somebody has taught you wisdom. Somebody has taught you right from wrong. And guess what? Somebody taught them. And guess what? Somebody taught them. And that is what will have a lasting effect. Nobody will know probably what our names are. Even the lessons that we pass down and the wisdom that we pass down, oftentimes the person that passed it down, their name will eventually fall out of the mix. But the lesson will remain. While as disheartening as it may be to think, man, well, that's kind of depressing. Nobody's going to remember me. My house is going to be in shambles. Well, that's a reminder for us not to put too much importance on the name that we build for ourselves. Because it will go when we go, and so will our things. And so let us make an effort to make things that are important, important, and pass those down. Verse 12, I, the teacher, have been the king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to seek and to explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. Okay, so whoever is writing this, they are seeking to understand all that is done under heaven. And what do they say of that? God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile, a pursuit of the wind. So ever how old the author of this book is right now, they obviously have lived long enough and experienced enough of the world to say the same thing that they said at the beginning of the book. Everything is meaningless. All the pursuits of the world are like trying to pursue the wind. Now, who can pursue the wind? Nobody. You can't see the wind. You don't know which way the wind blows. And if you could pursue it, can you ever catch it? No, it's always going to be out of your grasp. And so it is with many things in this world that we pursue. They are always out of our grasp. They never satisfy us. They never bring us that, that pleasure like we talked about a few verses before. And so again, the author here says everything in this world is meaningless. All the riches, all the wealth, all the, all the, the power, all the positions, everything is meaningless. Verse 15, what is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. So there are ever before us things that are crooked, things that we may try to change, things that we may try to, to, to do what we can with them, but there are a lot of things that are beyond our power. Now, praise the Lord, they are not beyond God's power, and that's kind of the point of this book, is, is ultimately to look past all the things of the world, and, 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 and as depressing as the world may be, to look past that to something that is far better. And so there are plenty of things in this life that are beyond our control. Verse 16, I said to myself, Look, I have amassed wisdom far beyond all those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. 
for with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Perhaps the old saying comes to mind here, ignorance is bliss. Uh, perhaps even in this first chapter, these words here are true. When we seek the wisdom and the knowledge of Scripture, just in this one chapter here, we think, well, man, this is kind of depressing, right? I mean, there ain't much that's worth much in this life. I, I, I gained wisdom and I gained knowledge, and it brought me grief. Man, how depressing is it to know that this world is pretty much a bummer, that things are falling apart, that there's always going to be wars, that even if I get all the things I want, I'm still going to be depressed, that nobody's even going to remember me and my, my possessions are going are to rot with me once I am gone. And so with that wisdom and that knowledge that we have discovered here in God's Word, we too perhaps are grieved in a sense, but in a sense, this is a real book. It helps us to see what life is, and it helps us to realize that there's more than what this life has to offer, praise the Lord, because as we will see throughout the book, this life doesn't have much to offer. So what is the point of Ecclesiastes? Well, perhaps we will reference the last verse of Ecclesiastes on occasion as we go through the book to kind of help balance things out, because frankly, I believe that Ecclesiastes is a book that needs to be read from start to finish. Because if you just read one chapter and stop there, you, you read that for bed and tried to go to sleep, you'd think, well, man, this is a bummer, you know? And so we need, to, we need to see the whole book, and it's a relatively short book if you read it in one sitting, but seeing as how we're not doing that tonight, we will skip to the point, and we will remind ourselves of this point as we go through the book to kind of to kind of balance out some of these things that seem to be kind of a bummer. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, this is the point of the book. Of all the things in this world that we may think are good, of all the wisdom that we may obtain, of all the wealth that we may obtain or the power that we may obtain, of all the labor that we labor at under the sun, at all the wars we see, at all the difficulties we see, when all is said and done, the wisdom that we need to gain from this book and throughout all of God's Word is this. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is, Fear God and keep His commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including everything, whether good or are evil. So what is the main point? If we look at this life and we say this life is a bummer, the main point is we need to know that there is something greater than this life. And what is greater than this life is the Lord. Now, as depressing as life is, we will see through the book that there are certainly things that God blesses us with, that we are to take joy in some of the things in this world, and God gives us those things to help us make it through, to balance through all the hard times in life. Praise the Lord that in the midst of the depressing things, that God's goodness is right there with us. And so when all is said and done, there is one thing that we need to remember that the writer of Ecclesiastes wants us to remember. There is more to life than what we see, praise the Lord. What we see is not good, but God is good. If we want to find something better in life, the end of the matter is this. Fear God and keep His commands. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for this book. And I pray that you would help us to 
to get something from this book, dear Lord. It, it's, it's pretty real to us in a way that we already know, dear Lord. Maybe we, we, we don't think we're supposed to acknowledge the difficulties of life, but right here in this book, it's all laid right there for us, dear Lord. Life is just a bummer. It's not always fun. It's sometimes difficult, and things of this world aren't as good, perhaps, as we think. But God, you are better than we think. So God, let us enjoy the things of this world that you have given us to enjoy. But let us never try to seek all of our joy in the things of this world, dear Lord, because ultimately they are meaningless. God, help us to know what matters and what has meaning, and that is to seek you and to seek your word and to live by your commands. God, help us to seek you. Help us to love our family and friends. And dear Lord, let everything else fall into place. But let us not, let us not seek meaning in the meaningless. But let us find meaning in you and in your Son, Jesus Christ, dear Lord. We have reason to rejoice today because in the midst of the hopeless, hopelessness of this world, as depressing as it may be, there is hope and deliverance in the grace of Jesus Christ. So God, I pray that that is where we go. If we feel like the writer of Ecclesiastes here, that in the midst of our dark days, that we would seek you, that we would seek Jesus Christ and the grace that comes through him alone. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.